Good morning, everybody. Before we start uh, getting to God's Word, I just want to give a little background myself. Um, in case this all goes wrong, you can blame him, not me. Just a good heads up there. Um, so I'm 27 years old. I got invited to the Clearwater Community Church back in 2010 off of a $5 bet uh, to go to the youth group. That's not how we work there, by the way. That's not like, I always, like, our youth pastor, when I told him, he was like, you got to say like that. We don't do that way. Like, yeah, so I uh, just frank because I kept saying no, and like, here, you want to show up $5? Me being a you know, knucklehead teenage boy. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll show $5. And uh, I don't think I've missed since. I've missed a couple things. But uh, so I, I got saved on a, a ski trip there, uh, December 21st, 2010. I got it written down in the Bible somewhere. Uh, and I felt a call to youth ministry about six months after, after making a joke to our youth pastor saying, oh, I could totally do your job. That sounds easy. <sighs> I've been wrong a lot. And that was one of the times I've been wrong. It's a little, a little difficult. I, um, I have a bachelor's degree from uh, Trinity College of Florida in Youth Ministry and Biblical Studies. I am two classes away uh, from getting a Master's of Ministry from Anderson University in South Carolina. And so uh, education is not my thing, so it has just been like going to the dentist every time a class starts. It's like, ah. But uh, I love God, and God is saying, you need to get better at this, and uh, you need to grow. And uh, so, so I'm doing it. Um, for work, I work for a company called More to Life. It's a part of New Life Solutions, which is a big pro-life movement now. That offers help in the world. And so uh, my job is, is kind of like the youth ministry of that program is, I go into schools, public, private, Christian schools, and we tell kids that their choices affect your future. So we go, we do the, hey, don't bully, hey, you know, uh, be, be safe on social media, you know, like, don't do drugs and do all those talks. Schools bring us in because they're having a problem with this or that. And so we craft lessons for what schools want to do. We are uh, chaplains of many little Christian schools that can't afford to pay somebody. So just, just go all around. Overall, I'd say I'm a professional teenager. It's just everything I do is serving at Clearwater Community Church, doing that job. And I'm also the head varsity coach at Calvary High School, head JV coach. Not varsity yet. At Calvary High School for the boys lacrosse team, we're in season. So pray for the coaches because it's four months every day with the kids. And I have to watch what I say because any little thing can be taken wrong. And they make jokes. And it's like, oh, Lord, I love these kids. But my hair will be gray by the end of this season. I promise. So I'm here to talk to you guys about just ask the question of, do, do you really want to change? Do you really want to be different. Yes, we, you know, you are saved, you are changed, but there is just way more than just actual salvation. There is a lot more to this. So in life, do we really now want to change? So we've had the privilege with Mortal Life, our company, going into every Wednesday for pretty much all of January afternoon, we would go to the courthouse. And so there's this little organization that takes teenagers who've gotten some like misdemeanors, and to get it off their record, they have to sit in the class. And for those kids, their class is to listen to me for an hour. And in this class, uh, the kids have to come in. They have to say their name, what school they go to, and their charge. And most of it is just like, uh, my name is Sam. I go to Palm Harbor and uh, Battery. So a lot of these kids are just got fighting in school and someone pressed charges or trespassing. This means they're hanging out with their friends in a the place they shouldn't be and got caught. And so to make sure that's not going to ruin their future, they go to a class that, that we teach. And we usually teach it on peer pressure. Like, hey, get good friends. And we take a can, empty can, they crush it. Full can, they can't crush it. Like, well, when you're full of knowledge that drugs are bad, bad friends are bad, need to be good, have good influence around you, you're not going to crush under pressure. And so that's like our main message with that. And uh, 
the first time we went, we, uh, kids were kind of open, we were kind of chatting. This one kid walks in, and he's a big dude. I mean, I, I looked at him like, there's no way you're a teenager, but he was a teenager. And so he sits down, angry face, angry demeanor, angry posture, and he just like that. And uh, this little sweet Abby, oh, the lady that works there is so nice, such a good heart. And she goes, hey, sweetie, what's your name? And he wouldn't answer. And he's like, sweetie, I need you to give credit for the class. You don't have to come back. Or you want your charges dropped? And he's just sitting there, angry face. And so she just starts reading off names. She gets his name, and he just goes, we're like, we'll take that as a yes or his name or confirming. So good. If he, he grunted at that name, so that's who gets it. And so to start off to break the ice, which is kind of ironic because we talk about, uh, we play a PowerPoint game called Florida Man Trivia. So Florida Man is like this whole, like, online thing if it's all the crazy crimes coming to the state of Florida. So I find 10, I make it a fill in the blank, and I put kind of wacky answers that blend in with the real answer. And so halfway through this game, um, so every now and then I throw in jokes just to kind of lighten the thing. And so this question had a joke in it. The question was, it was like the seventh question out of 10. Florida man bored calls 911 to talk about blank. Option A, Bruno. Option B, his feelings. Option C, Hitler. Option D, politics. Some of you already, already know what joke's probably going to happen. And so the whole game, we say, hey, if you think it's A, raise your hand. So for this one, I said, hey, who thinks it's Bruno? Raise your hand. No one raised their hand. I said, good, because we don't talk about Bruno. If those of you don't know, that is a big song from Disney's movie Encanto. Teenagers know, so now it's clicking. And so everyone in the room is just, the kids are like, oh, cheesy dad joke. And sweet old Abby in the back is giggling. But the one person that gave me a real laugh was a kid whose name is, I don't know what his name, but he was just like this the whole time. I make that one silly little Disney joke, and he goes, (laughs) but his chin rose up, his shoulders dropped back, and he smiled. And in my mind, I'm like, really? Out of all the gold I've been giving you, the little Disney joke is what cracked you? But that's but, but it changed, and so while we're doing a presentation about peer pressure, we talk about goals, what you want to do in life. He, he raised his hands, like, hey, I want to be a mechanic. We're like, awesome. And then we talk about what are some ways this can hurt you and help you. He goes, like, well, it's like, if you have poor mental health, it could be hard to, to function and do your job in the future. I'm like, yes, like, oh, like, it's happening. He's like, is something, is, like, he is paying attention. The walls are down. And so we do a presentation, and at the end, everybody is leaving. I'm packing up. And he walks up to me. I'm not really an emotional guy. I'm either, um, like, happy, tired, or hungry. It's like the three things I usually feel. And then when I golf, it's angry. And so that's, I golfed bad yesterday, so it's it's relatable. Uh, But he came up to me, and he goes, just straight face, he goes, like, change will come to those who seek it. It is my turn to change. I'm like, dude, that is, it, it blew me away. It's like, change will come to those who seek it. It is now my time to change. And I was like, ooh, wow, it's amazing. And then I, I was writing this. I'm like, what little intro story am I going to bring up? And I was at a coffee shop in Tarpon with one of my friends. And I just told him this story as I had my laptop open with just some details and already kind of like the main outline done. And I'm like, wait a minute. I want to talk about do you really want to change? And this kid changed. And it was just the hour of this, seeing this kid change is crazy. And this was just maybe done through a little Disney joke. I was praying before, so I will give all the glory to God in the situation, not my talent joke making, but this kid changed. So I'm going to ask you guys again, do you really want to change? So as you guys turn your Bibles to Luke 18, the same place we had our reading today, 
I want to give a little background to kind of uh, the section that we are in. So this part, this story is a synoptic. So what that means is that this is also found in other Gospels itself. So it's kind of like it's telling the same stories, but in the other Gospels. So this is going to be found in Matthew 20 and Mark 10. In the other Gospels, we get a little more details that make our story today in Luke 18 a little easier to tell, put some pieces together. So one, uh, there's actually two blind men, as we get, I think, from Mark's account. And then the blind, the blind man that is uh, highlighted in Luke, his name is Barnabas. He's kind of the spokesperson for the two. So today, to make it easier, I'm going to be calling him Barnabas. So uh, Bartimus, Bartimus, there we go. He's looking at me like it. Bartimus. So I'll be calling him Bartimus. And so, uh, so you may be thinking, wait a minute, how come it's different in a couple, like, why is it different in Matthew, uh, Luke, and Mark? It's, it's not, they're not meant to contradict each other. What it's saying is you guys are going to all hear their sermon today. Some of you are going to take away some things, different than other people. Some of you will forget things, different than other people will. But you all heard the same thing. And so what, what's really cool is the Bible is all personal accounts. So they're writing from what either they have heard or what they have seen, and they're writing it down. So there's going to be details that are going to be left out, and there's going to be details that are going to be important and put together. And so the main detail is, is that Jesus Christ has the power to heal the blind. That Jesus Christ is the son of David, is the promised son of David. Jesus Christ is Messiah. That's what you get from the story. It complements each other. It actually doesn't contradict at all. So some people, when you read online, you study, like, oh, it's a major contradiction. It's like, actually, you look at it, the moral story is, is Jesus still has the power. Just to, all depends on who's telling the story. So how do we start to change? Because if we, need, we all need to change. We are all sinners. There's all things going on in our life that need to be different. We are progressing. We need to be pursuing holiness, sanctification. So how are we to change? So in, this, in, the, in these passages, in this passage, there are three steps on how we can start to change. And the first step is to recognize your condition. We have to recognize our condition, your condition. So verse 35 through 37 says this. As he drew near the Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. So back in this culture, beggars had kind of like a setup. Kind of like you would see somebody panhandling on the side of the road. Beggars would sit kind of in a high-trafficked area, usually by the city entrance or the city exit. And uh, they would be in their little corner, and they would do their typical shouting out for alms, for money, for food. They needed other people, dependent on the people, for their daily bread. Usually, sometimes, especially if they were blind, they had certain robes, so you can identify, like, oh, this person screaming at me for money is a blind person. So they kind of had a certain, like, uniform they would wear to let people know that this person cannot see and need your help. And so on that day, just probably just an average day for them, they got set up, they needed what they do, and they start crying out, and they just hear a big crowd coming. And they're like, and, and Bartimaeus is just like, what is going on? So he's probably thinking in his mind, like, hey, now is the time to, you know, get that cash, man. <laughs> it's like, get, that, get what I need, maybe I can get more. This could be a good thing for me. So he inquires, hey, what is going on? And then they say, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And so in his mind, First thing we read with Jesus and Nazareth is Nazareth. Just imagine, like when you're driving up 301 to get across the state. Nazareth was considered by people in the city just a little podunked, little small farming town. It's like a typical town with one stoplight that I'll always get stuck at, uh, one gas station, a subway, a few houses, and of course a token Dollar General. And so, 
And so, so Nazareth was probably considered like that, just a small little town. And so a blind man who's considered this small little, little nothingness in the city, here's somebody of stature coming from this small little town. It kind of resonates. It's like when we hear somebody from our state like, yeah, like I know that person. Yeah, Florida Strong, woo, and things like that. So it resonated with him because he saw, oh, such a minute little town, and I'm considered such a minute little person that like that's why Nazareth is so important in the story. And so he cries out for mercy. And then so we go over the verse, I believe it was 38. I got a new Bible, um, and it closes all. I'm reading it, I promise, but it closes all the time. So if I open it 20 times, that will be just a heads up. And so verse 38, verse 38 says this, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So he cries out for mercy. He doesn't cry out for money. He doesn't cry out for food. When he finds out that it's Jesus, he cries out for mercy because he was able to recognize his condition. The reason why he screamed Jesus, son of David, kind of gives us a little background that uh, Bartimaeus may have knew who Jesus was. I've heard of Jesus before. That's why Nazareth sparked him, and the name sparked him to scream out Jesus, son of David. Son of David was kind of the same as the title as Messiah. So that Barnabas is screaming, Messiah, my Savior, like our Savior, the promised one, have mercy on me. Again, not screaming for the little things that he thought he needed, the stuff that can get him by, but screaming for things that truly could save him. So he cries out for mercy because he knew that Jesus was the only way that he could actually change no money, no food can actually change him. But he heard this Jesus, if he was a promised son of David, he could change me. So he started to recognize his own condition. We can be spiritually blind in some areas. We can be even spiritually blind by the fact that we're not even believing in Jesus Christ. That we're blind to the fact that we're not truly loved, that we, that we are truly loved, but we're not really seeing it. We're blind to so many things, the attitudes, to addictions, the things like, oh, that's not really a struggle for me. But we have no idea it could be because that's what everyone else sees. So we can be spiritually blind in so many areas. So how do we start to recognize condition? our condition? One is we need to know what living holy looks like. We need to be in the word, reading. We need to see people in our churches, in our families that are devoted to God and see how they live and communicate with them. There are many stories in the Bible. There's so many stories of people who are great examples. There's so many stories in the Bible of people who are not great examples of what not to do and those things. But we have to know what holiness looks like. We have to have an image. Yeah, we have Jesus, but we're not going to be just like Jesus because we're going to fail and we're going to sin. But there's people in the Bible who are human, just like us, born in the sinful nature, but have strived and lived after God. So we have to know what holiness looks like. Continue that Bible. When, when Pastor Mitchell told me about your Bible reading plan, I'm like, that is awesome. I would encourage you guys, if you're not on that, hop on that, man. That's a cool thing to really, as a church, know you're going through together and uh, communicate with it, talk to each other, tell the stories. That's an amazing thing. Second thing on how we recognize our condition is have people in your life that are going to be honest, whom can be truthful with you, that you trust to tell you these things, to get you back on the right path. Somebody who's not just going to make fun of you, but somebody who's going to come alongside you, that loves you and cares for you, and is going to maybe call it, hey, I have noticed that you've been really short to, like, you know, short fuse lately. 
you've been really acting this way. Your jokes have kind of been a little bit more mean or a little bit more disgusting and things like that. Somebody you can trust to come alongside you and say, hey, man, we need, we need, we need to pray. We need to talk about this. Anything going on, what's the deeper issue here? Somebody who can come along and disciple you. We need to have those people in our lives because we are spiritually blind to these things and other people who maybe walked that road before can see it and they have those people around you to help you. And third, how do we recognize our condition? We have to realize that we cannot change on our own. Just like Bartimaeus could have cried out for money, for food when he saw Jesus, but he cried out for mercy instead. Isaiah 6 verse 9 says this, and he said, go and say this to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. So what this is saying is that like, yes, we have physical sight. We have physical hearing. But we are still going to be somewhat blind, spiritually blind to the things. We cannot see what we cannot see, right? It could be a perception of it, but if we cannot see it, I don't know what it's going to look like. And so that is why we are going to cry out to God because we realize we can't do it ourselves. So pray to God. Ask him, God, open my eyes. There's an old song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Like, it's a, it's a real thing. I want to see you, God. Point out what is holding me back from pursuing this holiness. Some of you may be thinking, and it happens to me, it happens to even a lot of people that I know and trust. But like, what if God does want to help me in this area? What if God is too upset with the sin I'm going through? Because some of us, I, when, I, when I do small groups of middle schoolers, I try and be as transparent as possible with them. Obviously not spilling out my dirty bags, but trying to get them to be open. Like, hey, when I say what is your sin struggle, there's something that pops in your head that you know is your major thing. But when I'm actually done explaining, that goes down, and you come up with something that you can say out loud that's easy to be, like, talked to about, that's not going to be that embarrassing, so when we talk about what needs to change, there could be something in your head. And you're like, God, I want to say that God can be angry at me. It could be embarrassing. Well, some people think, like, God is not going to help me because I've, like, failed over and over again. Man, it's like I keep committing the same sins. I'm here for asking forgiveness, like, down on my knees praying. But guess what? I'm probably going to do it again. And we feel, like, so sick and so lost. And you may feel like, I don't deserve this. But I'm here to tell you that's the complete opposite. So in Matthew 9... Verses 12 to 13, it says, But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Just how Bartimaeus cried out for mercy, he, he desires mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Nobody in this room was born righteous. Nobody in this room is living a perfect life. We were all sinners. Jesus came to heal the sick, the lost. Jesus came to heal the people with attitude problems. Jesus came to heal the people with greed. Jesus came to heal the people who lust. He came to heal people who covet, who argue, who are just a menace to society. Jesus came to heal those people. He, he doesn't care what you have done. He cares that you are born and you are alive and you are here. He cares to fix you. He doesn't care what sin you may have made. So Jesus is saying right here in Matthew, like, I'm here for the sick. I'm here for the sinners. And that is all of you. Those righteous stuck-up Pharisees, that's what you think. Guess what? They're sinners too. And I'm here for them as well. For change to come, we must first recognize our condition. Second, for change to really happen. We must be persistent in 
our faith. So verse 39 through 41, it says, there we go. And those who were in front of him, that being Bartimaeus, um, those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. So we have modern medicine. I'm thankful for modern medicine. We hear stories of healing. We hear all these great things going on. So people were blind. It was a, actually in, in this area, the Judea area, there was an eye disease going around called trachoma. And this was, it could happen in birth. Parents could have, maybe have it, kind of like MRSA, where parents could have it. Like you, we all have MRSA on the skin. It's a matter if it gets into us, victim. Um, and so the same thing could happen with trachoma. A baby could be born, and through that birth process, like, it can have it, and so baby's born blind. Or it can inherit, it's in, it's in dirt, it flies, just like a disease. It, it, it's, it's an infection. And so it, it was happening to a lot of people, because again, the modern medicine that kind of started to change this and fix this didn't really come out until, they weren't able to really help it, until maybe five, six hundred years after this was written. And so uh, Bartimaeus was blind, and so th- that was a disease. But, Unfortunately, in the culture around it, they're like, you know what? You are, you're, you're blind, or someone was like lame or handicapped because they thought you were blind because of the sin, a sin you have committed, or if you're born blind, it's a sin of your parents. Uh, John 9 is one of my favorite stories and verses, chapters ever about Jesus healing the blind man. Uh, and the Pharisees were talking about it. People were talking about like, well, was he blind because of the sin of his like, parents or whatever? And Jesus was like, no, he was blind. So for the glory of God. That man could have been blind his whole life for the exact moment where Jesus is going to heal him and everyone got to see it. And so it, it is, this, I just love that story. But they thought, it was, they thought it was like a handicap. They thought like your sin handicapped you. It wasn't medical stuff. They wouldn't go down that realm. They thought like, oh, so they thought he was a lowly little sinner. And so the reason why I rebuked him here uh, there's probably two reasons why I rebuked him. First is that it's a status thing. So Jesus was like a well-known rabbi. Jesus had a giant crowd around him, you know, even though some people may disagree with him and some people may think that he was just a complete fraud or whatever. But Jesus had a big crowd, so he had somewhat of a status. And so Jesus was a little bit higher up than Bartimaeus would have ever been. And so for him to cry out to someone like that, a lowly little sinful person, able to cry out to somebody with this status, that stay in your lane. That's the young person saying there. Stay in your lane. Know who you are. Like, this is not your right place. I'm not going to walk onto an NBA court and expect results. Because I know my lane. I know, like, hey, I play Monday nights at my church, and whenever the middle schoolers show up to play with everyone else, that's who I cover, because we're the same height. I pick on people my own size, not like I'm being mean. But I know what lane and avenue to be in. And so they could be rebuking Bartimaeus because they're saying, hey, stay in your lane. Be over there. You have no need. You are not even close to being righteous enough or clean enough to be talking to someone that stature that Jesus carries. And another reason why he could have been rebuked is um, surprisingly, but Jesus was pretty controversial back then. I know it's hard for us to understand today, Jesus being controversial. But even in the moment, Jesus is pretty controversial. And so um, when he cries out, Jesus, son of David, claiming him to to be the Messiah, have mercy on me. It was the people around are like, whoa, dude, that is, no, why are you screaming out these lies? So they they hushed him. 
They told him to be quiet. They rebuked him for, like, hey, we don't believe this is right. This is not the Messiah that we think is promised, even though they felt like they read the scrolls. And the, Jesus' life pretty nailed those scrolls pretty good. He hit those points. But they thought that Jesus was not the Messiah, so they rebuked him because they're like, dude, you're screaming out these lies. Silence. We don't believe what you're saying. You need to not talk anymore. However, Barnabas, when they told him these things, did a little bit of righteous rebellion. He screamed out even louder. So in a couple translations, because his shout is screaming out. So, but when it says twice that he shouted, there's cried out, that, that means two different things. It's two different like, words. So the first cry out and the shout, uh, he, it's saying, it's just like his normal, like, hey, I need money, hey, I need this, like his typical shout, kind of like you would, just a normal conversation so people can hear you walking by. But the second shout, I'm not going to do it because this is a professional setting here, but it translates to a loud emotional cry. A loud emotional cry. So we'll picture as if you are floating on a raft in the middle of the ocean and you see a boat in the distance. How would you scream? What would come out of your mouth? What emotions would hit you when you in that moment? That loud emotional cry. So after he was told to be quiet, after he realized, oh, this could be like Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah that they're talking about. Like, I am going to scream. I don't care who's around me. It was a loud emotional cry. Bartimaeus persevered in his faith. He stayed persistent in it. You told me, no, I'm going to do it anyway. Because he knew that Jesus was the only one that could change him. So how do we start to be persistent in our faith? First is to continue to seek Jesus when other people are trying to stop you. This world is doing a great job of trying to create an image, a life, without God. It's happening in our schools. It's happening every. I'm not going to get in that pedestal there. But you guys are aware of it. I don't have to remind us of these things. They're trying to present a world that is without God. It's in the media. It's in all of these things. And that can cause us to react, right? Like, I wish everything was all nice and dandy and we lived in heaven now. Heaven's going to be amazing. I can't wait. But we're not there. We are in a fallen, sinful world. And so it can cause us to react. Some people, it can cause us to get angry and kind of fight back. You know, not, not Bartimaeus' type of righteous rebellion, but we can go online and just get on Facebook comment wars. And we can do those things to where we are not shining Christ through trying to prove ourselves right. And then someone calls you arrogant, even though like, you can be right, and someone can call you arrogant, but you're never truly going to win an argument over the fact that you're not arrogant. Because it takes arrogancy to win an argument about arrogancy. And so people can go that way. Or people openly judge other people who aren't believers for what they're doing with no intention of love, just judgment. So, so the world crashing down on you, sin coming at you, can cause you to do those things. It can cause you to be kind of lash out, but also can cause us to cower too. It can cause us to be like, oh, yeah, I go to church, or like, oh, yeah, like, oh, I, won't, I won't cuss, I won't, I won't drink, I won't do this, I won't partake in that, but just kind of a little quiet in the corner because I don't really want to be embarrassed. We try to encourage our kids, man, it's like, hey, and, and, uh, and the youth group, like, hey, be vocal, be loud. Like, don't be the, don't stand up in your, your lunch table with the Bible and scream, but we have friends there. Show them why you're different. Tell them why you're different. Tell them why you think that joke's inappropriate. Tell them why you think those bad words shouldn't be used or we shouldn't be looking at that girl that way. Tell them those things. Show Jesus that way. But unfortunately, pressure can push us down, and it can happen to any age and all of us. What we see Bartimaeus did, Bartimaeus did not cower. 
he was persistent in his faith. Another way we can be persistent in our faith is when we are persistently crying out, God hears us. God hears our cries. Jesus is our great shepherd. When a shepherd hears the cries of his sheep, he turns and he responds and goes to see the issue. If it's just a correction back on course, he does it. If it's whooping somebody with the staff and the wolf or something, he does that. But he gets us back on course. He hears the cries of his sheep and he goes to help. And third, how can we be persistent in our faith? Always be ready to share. God wants to hear it from us. So I, if you, you can't tell, I'm a very jokey person at nature. Uh, 95% of the time, stuff I say is meant just to get a reaction out of you in a fun, lighthearted way. Um, and so when I read verse 31, I was just like, all right, Jesus, that's slightly redundant. Jesus, the one who has healed many blind men before. Jesus, who has healed sick. Jesus, who has raised, probably raised Lazarus from the dead at this point, uh, is asking a blind man, what do you want me to do for you who's crying out for mercy? All of us could answer that question correctly. Before we read on to the end of verse 41, we ask for his sight. But going through that, I was looking at it, I was like, man, this is, this is the exact reason why we pray. You don't think God knows already? God knows everything about us. The song Indescribable by Chris Tomlin, I remember that was a huge song back when I started going to church. It's like he sees the depths of our hearts and still loves us the same. God knows every little thought in your head. Every little action, every little lust, every little praise you bring. He knows every good and bad in your head. He knows every true intention that is going on behind everything. But he still requires us to spew it out of our mouths and communicate it with him. And it's a little bit just like, man, like, God, you know I struggle with these things. How come you won't change it? He wants to hear it from you. So be ready. Sometimes I do this and I don't like it, but it's a habit I've developed where when I pray, I, you know, spiritual discipline, read your Bible, pray. So I want to pray just to pray because it's a morally good thing for me as a Christian. So I'm hoping to call God when he's busy and get him on voicemail and leave a voicemail so I don't have to listen to him back. So I can just talk to him like, ah, God, hey, how you doing? I love you. You're great. You're amazing. You're an awesome God. Thank you so much. Yeah, I've been kind of all I haven't read the Bible in a while. So, all right, man, just come back when you get a chance. Bye. Okay, good. I don't have to sit here and listen and have to go through those things. But that's what God wants from us. God wants us to listen. He's like, hey, you can pray to me, but it's my turn after. Let me reveal things to you. So to be persistent in our faith, we have to cry out to him, be ready to openly, honestly share, but also we have to be ready to listen to him. If you want to change, we have to be ready to listen to God because God has proven that he's going to respond. He is a great shepherd. He's going to be persistent with us as we are persistently crying out to him. So I'll ask you now, is there something that you want to tell God? Is there something in your mind? Is there something in your heart? Again, when I talk about what needs to change, what's that first thing that pops in your head that could be embarrassing to say? Do you want to change? What is it that you need to tell God? To start changing, we have to be persistent in our faith. Don't let other things hold you down from what you know and believe to be true. And thirdly, to be, to, for change to happen, we must, must worship Christ. So the end of the chapter, so the section says this, end chapter. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Amen to that, right? Amen. Is that his persistence 
is recognizing his change and his sight was recovered. Now, Jesus did an amazing thing for Bartimaeus. But Bartimaeus didn't worship Jesus because he had his sight back. Bartimaeus worshiped Jesus because Jesus recovering his sight only confirmed who he thought Jesus was. Barnabas, before this, was crying out to Jesus, calling him the Messiah. And then guess what? He did his Messiah thing. He did his Savior thing. He healed him of his sight. So he is now worshiping for the fact that, like, yes, you are the Messiah. Not, yes, I have my sight. I'm like, yes, this is our only hope. This is our Savior. He wasn't the other end, like, oh, I got what I wanted out of it. He's like, no, I got to see God. I can now physically see God, but I got to see God himself. The one promise in the line of David. All the way back from the Davidic covenant. He's able to see that. He understood it, and now he sees it. So he worshiped God, and the people around him worshiped God when they saw the act. So why do we worship? One, fellow believers, our worship can lead others to glory, to glorify God. Uh, the, when, so us overcoming things, our change can help others lead to glorifying God. How amazing it is when we hear prayer answered. When somebody in your church is struggling and you find out after a while they have a clean bill of health. Or somebody maybe is addicted to something and you find out, wow, this is amazing. Like, oh, I'm not, I'm in, I'm in a process, I'm in a CR program somewhere, I'm doing these things. Like, oh, praise God, that's amazing. And, and, and your change and your openness and your worship to God is going to cause other to worship. I remember in, in high school, I was, clearly I was very immature, and one, one of my best friends got saved on a mission trip. Our youth pastor goes like... Because he's been in the church with us for a while and everything. And he just overall was like, we have no business being on a mission trip if we're not actually believers in Christ. If we haven't really committed our hearts, why are we sharing and doing things for other people? And my friend lost it and cried a- after. And then they talked and then we found out he was saved. And I went and I spear tackled him to the ground in joy. And I was in very good shape back then on the football team fighting off, like, getting lacrosse scholarship offers. And so I heard him a little bit. But, like, I was joyous when I found out that my best friend, still my best friend today, is, was saved. So our worship can help others worship as well. And then why do we worship? It's the obvious one. Because he's the only one who can save us. He's the only person who can take us from blind to sight. He's the only person that gets out of darkness to life. So in a section right above this, Jesus for the third time tells his disciples that, hey, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be spat upon. I'm going to be shamed. I'm going to die. Then I'm going to rise from, the, like, rise from the grave. This is the third time he said that. But again, this, this, these words still felt deaf, on deaf ears. Still the blindness of the disciples. Even the people following Jesus was still spiritually blind. Because we see later, these things actually happened to Jesus. Spoiler alert, if you haven't got there yet in your reading. These things actually happened to Jesus. Jesus was arrested, mocked, <laughs> beaten, spat upon, shamed, killed, and then rose from the grave. And the disciples heard it, and they scattered, feared, and gone away because our spiritual blindness can hold us back from seeing real truth. But God is the only one who can do these things. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, live the perfect life that we try to do, but we can't, We can every day try and be like Jesus. Jesus was abused, died as a suffering servant, but promised in Isaiah, rose from the grave. And Romans 10, 9, if you 
confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose up from the grave, you will be saved. God is the only person who can save us. From the beginning, from the second Bartimaeus heard Jesus, he knew that he was the only person that could actually save him. He was tired of being in the rut, being content with just sitting there with dirty robes on him, crying out for money and food. And he saw, heard of Jesus, and he knew it was going to be the only thing that could change him. So that is why we worship God. So what does change look like for us in our lives? For people who have not believed in Jesus Christ, change looks like you're going from death to life. From, from blindness to sight. From hopeless to hopeful. From eternal separation to eternal love. No matter what, you are going to be loved. Even though you don't feel like it, even though people in the world may reject you for some things, or even what you believe, no matter what happens or what you perceive, you are going to be loved. That's what change does for you if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. For those who are, unbelie- uh, for those who are believers, again, the witness we can have when we overcome and defeat something, when we defeat a sin, we defeat a habit, we defeat an addiction, people around us can see like, wow, this person's been really different at work. You've been more joyful. I actually like going up and talking to you now. Or like you haven't been all this worried and all these things. What happened? When people see change in you, they will ask what happened. Because they're hoping it's some pill. They're hoping it's some book. They're hoping it's something easy they can buy on Amazon to make them change. But no, what it is, it's the hope and life of Jesus Christ in us. It's the Holy Spirit guiding us to change and be different. So that is what change can look like. Our change can be our witness. Even if from death, even if you are an unbeliever going to a believer, people will see that difference in your life. Overcoming these things can also get other people to worship God. The whole point is, is God is trying to get us to love him more than loving our sin. And so that is why we need to change. We need to change from loving our sin to loving him. But unfortunately, we're going to keep diving back into these gross, disgusting sins. But every time, we need to go back to Jesus. So, for change to really happen, we have to recognize our condition, know what's wrong, and we can't do that on our own. We need the Spirit to guide us. We need to be persistent in our faith. We need to know that nothing is going to stop us from continuing worshiping God, and we need to then worship God. If you want change to happen, that's what it is. If you really want to change, I'll ask again, do you really want to change? Do you want to get out of that rut, that numbness feeling? I've done this sin so many times, I know what I'm going to feel like, so I'm okay committing this sin, because like, yeah, I'll get over it. I'll just put some worship music in the car next morning, and I'll be fine. And, or you've been so numb because life and things and what doctors said, what people have said, maybe your, your children have gone away from the faith, and you're so lost, you're like, you're so numb in other areas. I just want to feel again. Well, there is hope. There is life, and there is so much love in Jesus Christ. And so if you want that change to happen, it is time to start taking those steps. Recognize the problem. Recognize your condition. Maybe a problem could be with someone else. Be persistent. Continue to cry out and worship God. Get out of those ruts. Feel again. Know that you are loved. So I have, I'm going to end with some reflection questions and just... Take these to heart. Um, So what are some areas of your life you think you need to change? What are some areas of your life you think you need to change? What is it? We all have them. You know, we can't hide them. God already knows. 
We can hide it from people, but we can't hide it from the Lord. can't hide it from your creator. Second one, how is the Holy Spirit already helping you to recognize your condition? What is the Holy Spirit doing? It, he is alive and active. If we accept him in, we accept Christ, like what, what is he doing in our lives? You know, we can't let the Holy Spirit just be a pilot light. He needs to be full blast cooking our pot. The, the, the cooking pot. All right. And a third one. Where do you need to persevere in your faith, trusting Christ that he will bring a completion, uh, bring to completion what he started in you? Where, what areas? Maybe it's, you know, you're alone at night. Put that phone away. Have someone hold you accountable. Maybe you know some certain things get you upset. Try and avoid that and do that stuff. And the last one, how does Jesus' life, death, and resurrection cause you to love and worship him more than anything else? Again, God wants us to love him more than our sin. Recognize what Jesus has done. So now let's take a moment of reflection for what we have learned and think, hey, what, is, what do you need to tell God? What is that thing you need to confess to him? He already knows. Get it off of your heart. Get it off of your shoulders and give it to him. Or what does God need to tell you? Maybe you need to talk to him or maybe you need to listen. Maybe you let the phone ring and let him answer. And just to hope, don't just send a straight voicemail or text God. Let him answer and talk back to you. It's like time and a moment to reflect on this. I'm going to end it a word of prayer. You can either hear my prayer, continue whatever's going on in your head, but just bow with me. Father, we, you are so good. You are an awesome God. And, and I pray that we lift our eyes to you and realize we can't do this on our own, that you're the only thing that will ever truly love us. You're the only, only one that can save us from our condition, Lord. And you've done that by sending your son Jesus down on the cross for us, God. And we thank you so much for that. We'd be lost without you. God, and we thank you for saving us. Jesus, we love you. We just pray this all in your name. Amen.